Good morning. So uh, for those of you who don't normally do the fundamentals of the faith class, we have some handouts in the back, uh, on the back uh, chairs there. If you'd like to grab those for notes, we're going to do a little review of lesson four about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, help yourself to those handouts. Jeff is out of town, so we decided to join this class uh, with the uh, class that he's been going through in the epistles. If you have homework, uh, you can turn that in now. Kathy, do you have homework? No? You didn't do the homework, did you? Okay, let's check in. Anybody have homework? Feel free to uh, bring it on in. If you could turn to Colossians uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, a little review uh, verses 15 to 18, and uh, the book as well as this passage of scripture is a reminder that Christ is preeminent. He is foremost. He is the first of all beings and the best of all beings. Christ is above all. Before we get started, I just uh, want to open us in a word of prayer. Lord, as we uh, contemplate Christ as God, Christ as man and as Lord and Savior this morning in our study. I pray, God, that we would fear lest, uh, lest the world fear um, nothing, knowing that Christ is above all things, that you created all things, that you control all things, that you are the one who holds all things together. Lord, we have nothing to fear. We have only praise and glory for your name, the fact that you are God, you are the exact representation of God, and we just exalt you this morning and ask that you bless our time together in Christ's name, amen. If, uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 18 says this, he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and is the beginning, the first born from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. As you think about this last year, and you think about the world seemingly falling apart, is this not a comfort this morning? It's Christ who holds all things together. It's Christ who created all things. Jesus Christ is the most important personality in the universe. The Bible speaks of that. The Old Testament was a preparation of Christ's coming. The Gospels are the presentation of Jesus who has come. The Acts in the New Testament was a proclamation of Christ. The Epistles, as we study, uh, moves on to the personification of Christ. And then finally, Revelation describes the predomination of Christ. Christ rules. It doesn't seem like he rules today. When you look at the world, when you look at the news, it's easy to become distracted by powers and dominions and authorities. He is head over all of that, as we're going to see this morning. The context of Colossians 
And this is a little bit of review. Timothy taught the first part of this session. Some of you are new because you don't go to that class, so I'm going to do a five, ten minute review here and then we'll jump into our lesson. So the context of Colossians, there was a heresy known as Gnosticism. Christ was believed not to be God. He was just another emanation of God, one of many. Does that sound familiar today? It does. It's not necessarily Gnosticism, but many believe that there are many ways to God. Also, the Gnostics believed that matter was evil and the spirit is good, and that therefore God would not send a physical man. They believed God sent many good emanations of his spirit, and Christ was just one with no power for salvation. They maintained a philosophical dualism. All matter is evil, creation was evil. You do not need Christ for salvation, but you need a secret knowledge. You need visions. You need many other emanations to see God. They did not believe Christ had a body. These were all the things that were present in Paul's day as he was preaching, as he was teaching the Colossian church. Paul here in Colossians wants to settle the score. Christ is not just another spirit. But he is the image of the invisible God. Imagine this. We can't see God, but when we look at Christ, we can see him. You, you guys think back to Genesis, how we are created in the image of God. And as I was studying this, I realized something that I never really came to understand. And that is, Christ is the perfect image. He's the exact representation so as believers in Christ, if we're created in the image of God, are we the same? Anyone, that's a tough question. Are we the same? If we're created in the image of God, are we the same as Christ is the image of God? How is that different? That's right. So we're tainted. We have a sin nature. What's interesting as I was reading, when we become believers, we become closer to that image. We could never be perfect. We could never be an exact representation. But as believers, we're supposed to help people see who God is by our character, by the attributes of God that are present in us in the spirit of God through gentleness and meekness and self-control, kindness, all the things that... Christ demonstrated, how easy is that to understand, that we could be a part of that image, that we can image Christ, that we could image God to others. Now, many of you in work, you, you just want to go about your work, and whether it be moms at home, imagine in a different way that you are the representation for Christ to those kids, for your community, for those that you work with. Whatever your character is, is a reflection of Christ in you. And yes, we cannot be the exact representation, but we as believers can, can give people a vision of who God is. That's amazing, isn't it? That's an incredible thought. Um, well, Paul is going to show us as we read this passage, he wants us to see five things in relation to God. Number one, uh, as Christ in relation to God, Christ in relation to the universe, Christ in relation to the unseen world, Christ in relation to the church, 
and Christ in relation to anything else that remains. Let's look at that verse again. He is, uh, speaking of verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So what would it, what would it mean here that he's the firstborn of all creation? If Christ was not created, he's not a creating, created being, what is being referred to here as the firstborn? It's a, it's a matter of position, right? It's not chronology, it's position. Christ is God, he created everything. Christ is God in the flesh. God is invisible and Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God, the exact image and reflection of God. He contains all the attributes of God. You guys, in those of you who were in uh, class, can you guys think of some of those attributes of God, the attributes of Christ? Any of you can just mention some of those. If he's the exact represent, representation of God who is holy, what else? Omnipresent, eternal, omniscient. I'm going to give an A here if you just have them all. I mean, we only got half of them. <laughs> we actually don't even know all of them, right? The scriptures are clear that we can't see God or really know who God is. We can know about God, but eternity will be about knowing God fully, right? What we know about God is just a small amount. And the scriptures in Christ is who we look to to know about God. Man is made in God's image, but Christ is the exact image and reflection of God. He contains all the attributes of God. Christ is the brightness of God's glory. Think about that. If we were to see Christ, there would be a brightness. There should be an, just a brightness in us. If we have Christ in us, people should see that. People should know we're changed. We shouldn't be dull. How many of you have seen someone who is dull? There's just, there's nobody in there. Maybe someone who's in deep depression. There's a darkness there, right? We need to be full of light, right? And how do we do that? How do we remain full of light and full of God's glory in our lives? Jeff. <clears throat> okay, constant study of scripture, dying to self. Anyone else? <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Abiding. It's not just about knowing, but being with God, right? In time with prayer, fellowship with other believers, being involved in a church. <clears throat> In the New Testament, uh, we have a difference of how people saw God. If you think about the Hebrews in the Old Testament, the Hebrews could hear God, but they could not see God. In the New Testament, people could see God in Christ. What a difference that is. Imagine, have you ever been told a story about something? And then when you go to that place, let's say it's maybe it's Italy or Spain, and you're told and you have books and you have all kinds of information about that place. But when you actually get to that place, you're amazed. You can touch it. You can see it. You can smell it. <clears throat> Christ was that 
representation. No longer would people just hear about God, but they could see him. They could see Christ. He is the image of God. And this means a precise copy, a, a replica. In him is the fullness of God. Uh, just a couple more minutes in review on these verses, and then we'll jump into our lesson. Anybody have any questions so far? Good. That means you're either confused or you have no questions. Um, so we saw in this verse, we saw that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now we roll into uh, a portion here in relation to the world or the universe. Have you ever thought about Christ holding together the universe? Have you ever looked and studied science and understand galaxies and stars and moons? If, you, if, you, if you've spent time to understand the atom and how scientists know that somehow all these things are held together but they don't understand the nuclear glue that exists in our world. Do we understand that? We don't understand, but, but we know who holds all things together, right? That's Christ. It says that for him, for by him, in verse 16, all things were created. So all things, would that eliminate anything? What do you think? All things were created by him. The heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, the heavens and the earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Christ. He's the firstborn of all creation. He is the first in priority and position. Christ is the one that we look to in this world. He made the world. He has the right to rule the world. By him all things were created. Christ existed before all things. He is before all things even now. He is the Alpha and the Omega. So when trouble comes in our world, when we're worried about our freedoms being taken away, when we're worried about the future, does this not give us hope? We should be longing for his appearing, not for looking for the next thing that's going to come down the pike in the world. So how well are we doing in that area? Are we focusing on Christ? Are we living in Christ, studying who he is, or are we spending more time understanding what's happening in the world? You can answer that. How are we doing with that? Not very good? Well, we'll do better. Anybody else? Making progress there? A lot of blank stares. Charles, how are we doing? I'm, I'm listening to find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Charles. Uh, um, so we see in this verse, uh, visible and invisible thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities. This is the unseen world. He controls even those things that we don't see. Christ is far above rule and authority. Turn to Ephesians 1.21 with me. Ephesians 1.21. And if you want to understand the unseen world, how do we describe that since we don't see it? This verse is a good indication. 
Ephesians 1.21 says that Christ is far above all rule and authority. All rule, all authority, whether it be nations, whether it be seen or unseen, whether it be in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, Christ is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. So any power or dominion that exists, he's over that. Is that not comforting today? That is comforting. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Christ made all the angels of the unseen world and has authority over them. He reigns supreme over the enemies of God, both seen and unseen. So in relation to the unseen world, he is over that as well. How about in relation to the church? Looking further in verse 17, he He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So we see here that Christ is the head of the church as well. He began the church. He'll sustain the church. How many of you worry about the, the position of the church today, the state of the church? Christ holds that together. We can pray for our faith. We can pray for our church. We can pray for the churches that are being confused by the world's systems. Christ holds all things together. He sustains the church. Christ is the one who holds it together. And we have unity in Christ because of him, because he is the head of this church. And finally, as you look at the last verse there, uh, he says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And he goes on and really just talks about everything else. As it relates to anything else you can think of, Christ is the head. He is over all. That sums it up. So as we look at our lesson this morning, I want to take you back to some of the claims of Christ. Uh, for those of you who have your book, we're going to look at page 73, and we're going to look at the I am's of Christ. We can just, if you have those, we can just sit, say those out loud. These are the I am's of Christ. These are the names or appellations, the titles of Christ that can be found. Jesus is the Christ. And as the I am's, he is gentle and humble in heart. Anyone else? If you guys have those, just go ahead and speak those forth. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm referring to my booklet. Uh, does anybody have the I am's of Christ in their booklet? So I'll read them out. My, my apologies. Uh, Matthew 27, 43, I am the son of God. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. John 8, 23, I am not of this world. John 10, 9, I am the door. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John 11, 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 5, I am the vine. 
John 18, 37, I am a king. Revelation 1, 8, 21, and 6, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty. I am the first and the last, the living one, alive forever. Revelations 2, 23, I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I come quickly, Revelation 3, 11. Revelation 22:16 finally I am the root and offspring of David the bright morning star I am John 8:58 As we read those what comes to mind about Christ Does that give you hope does that give you peace does that give you pause for what you think about what are some of the things that come to mind as you look at the titles of Christ and the I am's of Christ He's everything. It's, yeah. It's very humbling, humbling. I am not would be a good reference to us, right? How many of you think you're something special? When you compare it to that list, we are nothing. As Isaiah said in, in, as we see in Isaiah 6, when he saw God, how many of you have spoken to people who claim that they have seen God and they just marvel at how they've spoken to him? I'd rather follow the footsteps of Isaiah who said, woe is me, for I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's our position before the I am this morning. So last, um, last week, uh, Timothy went through the incarnation uh, God becoming man. Uh, today we're going to spend most of our time in the section two, which is the man who is God, the deity, deity of Christ demonstrated in his attributes. Uh, I'd like to have all of us turn to Colossians 2.9. And some of you have done your homework. You can share what you have here as some key statements of Christ's deity. So as you're turning there, Christ's deity, titles of Christ's deity is God with us. He's our sovereign. He is the one who is God. Colossians 2.9 and then also Hebrews 1, 1-3. If anyone would like to read that. What are some statements here that we can look to about Christ's deity? So in him all fullness dwells in bodily form. How about Hebrews 1? Andrew. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3a. you so if you heard that what is that saying about Christ he holds all things together what else did we see
Okay? So he shows us God's attributes. How about John 1 1? Let's turn there. John 1 1 and also verse 14 of John 1. And finally, Titus 2 13. These are all statements of the deity of Christ. Who has John 1 1? Thank you. Page 37 in your handout. <clears throat> Anybody have John 1 1? Pardon me? Can you, can you read that? Can you read the uh, verse? Oh, okay. So he was God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus is God. How about verse 14? So the Gnostics didn't believe Christ was God. They didn't believe in the physical. Here we see John 1 says Jesus Christ is God. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was God, was Christ. And he is the representation of God. How about Titus 2.13? Okay, so how is that a statement of his deity? He's our Savior, right? Anything else? Tide. Right? A statement of deity in that he is the only one that can forgive sins. So those are some statements of the deity of Christ. Uh, For those of you who have written those out, uh, feel free to to bring up your homework. Uh, Section 3 at the bottom of page 37, the Christ who is Savior. Uh, According to John 3.17, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Let's... Let's list some of the following titles that describe God's saving grace. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 1.29, John 6.35, and John 14.6. Let's read those verses aloud, and let's look at Christ who is the Savior. Amen. Amen. 
Yeah, so again, you see a description of his deity. These are not just statements. These are description of who Christ is. He is God. How about Christ our Savior? John 1.29, who has that? So, the Lamb of God, what's that a reference to? He is the ultimate sacrifice, right? He is our Savior. He paid the penalty for our sin. Any other comments? Anybody write anything else out in that section? Okay, how about John 6.35? So Christ, who is our Savior, is the bread of life. What's that an inference to? The bread of life. The sustaining Savior, right? He sustains us. He holds us. He keeps us. Anyone else have any notes there on, on that section? Okay, John 14, 6. Who would like to read that? So he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So Christ is our Savior. He is the only way. How many of you continue to hear that there's many ways to God? It's, it's everywhere. Even now, people believe that, right? So we need to be aware of Christ's deity. We need to understand that he's our Savior. And then finally, that he's our King and ruler as we'll go through this lesson Uh, If you go to the next page, 38, we'll be looking at the king who comes to rule. The king who comes to rule. Jesus is not just a person of the past. He is the destined king of kings and lord of lords. 1 Timothy 6, 14 to 15. Let's read that. If you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy 6, 14 and 15. Anybody want to read that for us? Thank you. So that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the coming, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is, again, a reference to Christ, the blessed, the only sovereign we see here in this verse, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 16, who alone possesses immortality, he dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor 
eternal dominion. Amen. So there we see the reign over all the, the earth. We see Christ as our destined King of kings and Lord of lords. How about Daniel 7.14? Who will read that for us? What three things has Christ been given? So that ties us back to what we saw in Colossians, right? He has dominion. He is the ruler of all things. He's before all things. He controls all things. He holds all things. That's comforting today. So we have dominion. What was number two? Glory. And number three? Kingdom. So we see here, according to Daniel 7, 14, Christ has been given these things. He's been given these with authority. He is the king who comes to rule with authority. He has the power. He has the keys. How about Matthew 25, 31 to 32? What did Jesus tell his followers in Matthew 25, 31 to 32? So say those two real loud. Lewis, you can say those two once again. Who set on his glory and he will separate the nations. Verse 31 says, but when the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So he's telling his followers, I'm going to sit on my throne, on a glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from the other, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So Christ is the one who will rule and is the one that will be on the throne, and he will separate nations. Again, very comforting to think of that future day. How about uh, item C on page 38? When Christ ascended into heaven 40 days after the resurrection, what were the apostles told in Acts 1.11? You want to turn there, Acts 1.11. Yeah, he would come back for them. Let's read verse, uh, verse 11 there. Who would like to read that? Yeah, so he's been taken up from you into heaven and in the same way as you watched him go to heaven. So what a comfort that must be. 
When Christ ascended into heaven 40 days after the resurrection, he told his apostles, do you think they believed him? Do you think they understood him at this point? They could not see that, right? They, have you been told something where you, you, it registers, but you just don't really know what somebody's talking about? Maybe like this lesson, maybe you're not quite following and you're trying to figure it out. Hopefully that's not the case. This is all about Christ. This is all about him coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's telling even those that have been with him, the apostles, he's been teaching them, he's been discipling them, they still didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't really know. Acts 1.11 gives us a glimpse. Uh, verse 10, as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, what do you think they must have been thinking? Man, that's the last time we're going to see him, right? He's, we, we, we thought he was the king of kings and lord of lords. He goes into the sky while he was departing. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. That must have been pretty scary, right, if you think about that scene. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. What a thought. What a, what a description. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he, he had the rightful place. Because he's the king, he had the rightful place to sit on the throne. That's a reference to his kingship, to his glory. Um, you know, that, that all the angels with him will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. So you see this picture of a king on a throne. And it's a, it's a picture of his rule and his kingdom. Charles, do you have anything to add to that? No? Okay. Just checking. Yeah, it's an authority thing. Exactly. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, he's the rightful king. So return of Christ. Let's describe that at the bottom of 38, page 38, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 10. Someone could read that aloud. Let's, let's look at the description of the return of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 10. Doesn't look like the right passage, does it? Second Thessalonians one seven.
So what is this describing? Thank you, Kathy. What is this describing as, as at the second coming of Christ? Judgment, right? Eternal destruction. These are not soft words. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey God. This is a serious time, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when he comes to be glorified in the saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. What a description of Christ. Does this not make you think of our time right now? This is the time for the gospel. This is a time that is unique in our day. Before he comes, as the world continues to become darkened, People are looking up. They're looking for answers. This is our opportunity to share the gospel, to share what will happen when Christ comes. Andrew. Right. Right. Yeah. So Andrew said uh, it's about judgment of the nations, it's about destruction, but also about seeing the presence of our Lord face to face, to see his glory face to face, to know what his glory looks like, to be marveled at by all those who have believed. Have you thought about that day, this idea of longing for his appearing, is to think about that, it's to to contemplate what would it be like to see Christ? What would it be like to finally be at peace, to finally be at rest, to have no more tears, to have no more sorrow, to have no more contention, no more, no more house buildings. Any of you remodeling a home? No more house building. No more whatever it is that you still got to do and you don't have the energy to do it. It is finished, Christ said. He is the one who will save us. He is the one who is the king of kings and has the ability to judge the nations and he has the ability to save. Um, so how about uh, the next page in your booklet, uh, 39. Uh, so how do we apply this? Christ is God. He's our savior. He's our ruler. In light of this, how can we best prepare for his second coming in 2 Peter 3.14. How can we best prepare? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Okay. Okay. Being diligent, Lewis says, in your life, being diligent to Present yourself in a way that would honor God. 2 Peter 3.14 Therefore, beloved, <clears throat> since you look for these things, and these things is a reference to verse 10 if you look up above uh, 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. 
since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. And then as Lewis said in verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So in light of this, how can we best prepare for his coming? Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. We'll stop there. We need to be found in peace. How do we do that? Trust, okay? How about in the church, in our homes, at work, in business, to be found at peace? We're content in Christ. If he holds all things together, we can have peace. We can know that he finishes the story. Andrew, did you have a comment? Rest, yeah. Absolutely, rest in his works. Right? Christ is the source of our joy. He's the source of our salvation. Uh, In uh, Philippians 4, I remember a passage that was taught about rejoicing in the Lord always. And the reference was return to your source of joy. If your joy is in Christ, if your peace is in Christ, we must return to that. We can't just read about this once and move on. That's the way that we maintain this diligence as Lewis said, to be diligent, to be found by him in peace, okay, found by him spotless. How do we, how are we found spotless by him and blameless? Is that possible? Anyone? In and of ourselves, is that possible? No, but through Christ, right? What is what does God see? He sees Christ. He covers us, right? He is our propitiation for our sins to be spotless and blameless. Anybody else want to comment on that? Living a life of, of repentance, right? To continue to confess First um, John 1, 9. That's, that's something that is an ongoing thing. It's not a once in a lifetime. Anybody else? Alan. That follows. So all of those lead to peace, right? If you're humble, what's the opposite of humility? Pride, right? Anger, contention, bitterness, unrest, anxiousness, uh, worry, fear. All those things do not produce peace. This humility that Alan speaks of in 
Philippians 2, that's who we're to emulate. That's the image of Christ. That's the, that's the perspective we're to have, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, to be humble, to continually put ourselves before Christ and others, to live in a way that is self-sacrificing, that gives of ourselves. How many of you want to give of yourselves when you're under pressure, when you don't have time, when you're not at peace? What do we do? What do we naturally do? We worry, pardon? We worry, yeah. We're anxious. We're not at rest. This idea of being found in him at peace uh, ties to humility. It ties to emptying ourselves and being at rest in Christ, um, who is the one who holds all things together. The final question here in our booklet is, Item B, what can you do this week to acknowledge who he is? Who would like to read Revelation 5, 11 to 14? Revelation 5, 11 to 14. Well, what a picture that is in Revelation 5. So how, what can we do to acknowledge who he is? Not just in this verse, but how can we look at all the things that Christ is? The fact that he is the image of the invisible God. The fact that he is our Lord. He's the King of Kings. He's our Savior. He is the exact representation of God. Um, how can we apply this in our lives today instead of spending time in just the worldly things what can we do to apply this how can we be more ready for that day some of you who have written answers down Kathy Yeah, so Kathy said, in light of this verse and many others and the fact that we can see where the world's headed, it should cause us to want to share the gospel more. We should be convicted and convinced that now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. When he comes as a thief, what does a thief do? Does a thief call you and say, hey, I'm going to come steal from you? No, it's going to come when we least expect it, right? And we don't want to be 
those folks who are surprised. We want to be prepared for that day. Andrew. Great question. Yeah, great question. So why, if we know about all this, <clears throat> if we know about the coming judgment, if we know about the coming glory that we're going to see, why should we hold that close to our vest? Why shouldn't we be out there and, and I think as we look at that one verse that talked about being diligent before Christ comes, the idea of peace and being without spot and blameless comes back to humility, not worrying about our reputation. We're not worried about what other people think. We just care about others, right? We're going to care enough to share the gospel. It's still hard, though. So how do we apply this? It's easy to come up with a problem. How about the solution? Anybody have maybe an example of ways that you have um, overcome that fear. I can say one since you asked. Um, many of you know we're going through a CRT movement. Many of you, if you're through the sixth or seventh chapter, you've had enough, right? I mean, it's like, really? We're going to study this? It's just, but to be equipped to know about other things is helpful because you can engage the world where they are. But you got to bring them back to Christ. Christ is the one who's the ultimate judge. He is the one who we will intersect with on that final day. He is the one that will bring judgment. He is the one who is the righteous judge on the throne as we learn today. So we can learn from these books. We can learn from other religions, the counterfeit. But we've got to tell them what the real thing is. Christ is the exact representation. We're supposed to represent Christ. And if we're at peace in who we are, we can have a conversation and not worry about whether we know all the right answers. It's not about that. It's about loving others enough to say, hey, does, does this trouble you, all the things that are going on in this world? I have an answer, and I'd love to share it with you. How hard is that to say? Does that sound hard to say? No. Are we willing to say it? Because it's going to take time. It might take like three hours, right? I've had a discussion recently with a family member. It was five hours long. And they believed what Paul was facing. Uh, this person believes in, in a Gnostic faith. And I'm just going, how are you going back 2,000 years? How, how does this happen? How do we look at the past any more than we look at communism and we think that's going to be the solution? What we see in this book with um, fault lines is people really believe this is the nirvana. They believe this will bring the utopia. Well, we have nirvana. We have heaven. We have the answer. Do we believe it? 
Do we know that God is on the throne? Do we know that he's our savior? Do we know that he is full of the deity, that, that he is God himself? If we do, we will have boldness. If we have unbelief, we'll be fearful. How many of us have unbelief at times? <clears throat> we need to confess that unbelief. We need to renounce it and we need to become bold not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. Because he is the one who is on the throne now and forever, we can be at peace. We can present ourselves spotless. We can present the gospel to others and therefore live uh, without shame. Because on that day when Christ comes, what did you do with the time that you had? What did you do with the knowledge of who I was, Christ will say. We, we need to, to be responsible. We need to do with the gospel what we've been asked to do, and that's to share it. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we uh, <clears throat> thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for the fundamentals of the faith. Often, Lord, we think we know things, and yet at the same time, our lives don't speak of that knowledge. Lord, we confess that we can know things but not do the things that we know. And we ask, God, that you'd help us to be bold this morning as we understand who God is, who Christ is, as we understand the image of God, as we understand the I am statements. Lord, we recognize who we are not. We ask, God, that you would humble us this morning before, uh, before you, that we would be willing to share and give an account of the hope that lies within us. Lord, help it to be an informed wisdom that we share, not in some hope-so salvation, but a salvation that is founded on the fundamentals of the faith, knowing that Christ is God. He is the answer. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's our Savior. Lord, help us to act in such a way that, that people believe that. Help them to see in us humility people to see in us kindness and a contentment that is not of this world. Help us to be at rest. Help us to have a hope that is for the appearing of Christ. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for our time together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.